Welcome to Impacting Care, inspiring stories from people who are impacting care together by raising awareness or improving diagnosis and access to care for people living with hemophilia and other blood disorders in low- and middle-income countries. This podcast is produced by the Novo Nordisk Hemophilia Foundation. Hello and welcome. My name is Natalia. I'm a podcaster and presenter. And over the next few episodes, we will focus on volunteers who are impacting care. Today, we have with us Dr. Kate Kerr, a nurse from the UK who holds a PhD in health and social care and is one of the founders of HemeNet. She has been volunteering with the Novo Nordisk Hemophilia Foundation for almost a decade. Hello, Kate. How are you today? Hi, Natalie. I'm great. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Where in the world are you today? So normally when I'm in England, I'm hanging out in my house in London. But at the moment, I'm at my mum's house and she lives in Worcestershire, which is sort of in the middle of England in the countryside. So let's get started. Probably many of our listeners know you already. But for those who may not know you, could you please tell us about yourself? When did you start working in haemophilia? Um, I first encountered a young gentleman with haemophilia in about 1980-something, five maybe. Um, And at that point, I wasn't working in haemophilia and wasn't particularly aware of it. And then as my career progressed and I worked in haematology and oncology, I came across more people with haemophilia and other bleeding disorders. And then in 1991, I got a full-time job working with people with haemophilia at Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital in London. You've been volunteering for many years, also in Africa and in Asia. Um, What motivated you to start volunteering? So when I was working at Great Ormond Street, a large number of the families that I was looking after came from countries that were not the UK. And they described the care that their affected family members were receiving in the countries that they came from. And then in about 1992, I was lucky enough to be able to go to Bangladesh just on a holiday. And while I was there, I thought I'd go and see what haemophilia care was like in Bangladesh. And in those days, there wasn't very much of it. And there were very few identified patients. And that really made me think about how lucky in inverted commas people in the UK are in that they can get a diagnosis and they can get access to treatment and how we needed to try and make that more equitable for particularly children, um, but also for adults in countries where there wasn't yet diagnosis or treatment. And then also because I continued to be extremely lucky and to travel a lot personally, I started doing some work in Kenya with a small group of mums who were trying to uh, get a group together to support their children and their families. And then from that got invited by both the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation and the WFH of Uh, as I was chair of their nurses committee, to do some work in Africa and Asia. I'm interested to know what it looks like, you know, when you're traveling, perhaps, you know, you're on holiday. How do you actually make a first sort of introduction to people who are working in healthcare and and even patients? So that really depends on which country you're going to and, and, and what facilities and which people are already there. So in Kenya, initially, it was just a group of mums who were trying to get together. Um, now there's a whole established haemophilia team. When I've more recently been in Uganda, that was again a group of volunteers who uh, had affected family members, but had got on board a doctor and a minister uh, and, of health 
from the um, government. So they were more established, if you like, before I got there. Um, And then it's great to be able to keep going back to see them developing the services that they do. So you're going effectively as a holiday to begin with, but then you're connecting with people once you're there. Yeah, that's how it all started out. I said, I'm very lucky in that I do get to travel. And no, I love elephants. So if I'm going to somewhere where I can see an elephant, if I can see some haemophilia care going on too, then I'm doubly happy. <laughs> that's great. That's great. As long as you get time to also relax as well, at, you know, at the beginning stages. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kate, what do you see as the role of nurses in haemophilia care? So I just sort of said that I was passionate about elephants. I'm also passionate about the role of nurses in haemophilia. I think what we do is hold everything together. We're like the glue, if you like. So depending on wherever you are in the world, whatever your haemophilia team looks like, it is the nurse who is the first point of contact usually for affected families and individuals. So they will be the ones that answer the phone, that see people when they come to clinic. Um, And I think the nurse is therefore the most important member, I would say that, of course, in the team um, in terms of the psychosocial support, not just the medical care, but in that whole holistic care of the family. So what you're saying is that the nurse's role is changing to include more psychosocial care? I think so, yes. I, You know, if, when you look at what a multidisciplinary team is and everything that is published, it also talks about having a psychologist or a social worker and a doctor and a dentist and a physio and lots of other people. And I think if you're setting out to establish a haemophilia service now, that looks a bit scary. But actually nurses can do many bits of other people's roles and good nursing care isn't just about touching people, it's about engaging with them in conversation It's about talking about how they're coping, how they're managing. And if there is an issue, doing something to help. doesn't have to be in-depth psychology counselling, but there's lots of things that nurses can do to support the patient and the family as they go through their haemophilia journey. Yeah, that must be quite um, encouraging for the patients and their family to know at the beginning of their care journey, I suppose, that there's somebody there who is able to hear and understand them even at the earliest stages. I think so. And I, I think one of the things that strikes me now as I look back over my career, when I started out, I worked in acute care and then in cancer care. And those patients and families came in for an episode of care. So they came in for surgery or their chemotherapy and they had it and then they went and you maybe never saw them again. Whereas when you're working with families with a long-term condition, you'll see that child from the day he's diagnosed as he grows up, maybe he has some more brothers, maybe his sister has a baby with haemophilia in the future, maybe there are uncles in the family. So it's it's a longitudinal relationship with a family and you get to know them really well. And so then you can be very sensitive as the nurse to pick up, well, you know, this mum's just not quite right today. Is there something here that we can unpick? Is there something that's bothering her that she's not telling us about? And how can doctors and nurses ensure they build and nurture a good collaboration to work as a team for the benefit of the patients? So I think the words that were there in your question were about collaborating and for the benefit of patients. So You know, it's very easy to become the great and the good and the very famous person in the haemophilia team. But it's actually about working 
with your colleagues. You can only go to international meetings to present and be famous and known if somebody is working back in the centre, looking after the patients and supporting you and allowing you to go. So it really is a whole team looking after not only the patient and the family, but also ourselves as the team. You also mentioned uh, earlier about uh, other healthcare professionals like dentists, psychotherapists. What is what about the collaboration between nurses and these other healthcare professionals as part of the uh, multidisciplinary care team? Earlier on, we talked about how important the nurse was in sort of being that sticking plaster and the glue that holds everybody together. And I think that's where it's really important if you don't have a haemophilia team based in a haemophilia centre. So your haemophilia team might be the dentist in a different hospital or a different part of your hospital. Your physiotherapist might be in the clinic down the road. And so what's really, I think, is important is that the nurse is able to uh, bring all of those people together. And that might be actually physically. So do you bring everybody together to have a clinic or do you have a virtual clinic or a teleconference every week, every month to talk about patients? But then also, as I said earlier, the nurse is the first point of contact for the patient and the family, but they can also be the first point of contact for the dentist. So if the dentist is saying this patient needs to have teeth taken out, he or she should be contacting the nurse to make sure that the care is delivered appropriately to the patient so that they can have their teeth taken out safely. So again, a very important role for the nurse. Indeed. You did mention uh, that sometimes uh, these healthcare professionals might be based in different locations. I see that perhaps as one of the challenges. Are there ever any other challenges that you notice? We tend to think that all patients live very close to haemophilia centres and that they can just pop in whenever we ask them to. That's not true in London and it certainly isn't true when I've been in other countries. So, I, Or they live very close by, but actually the infrastructure to get them from wherever they live to the hospital is, is huge. So thinking to uh, Uganda where... We went out to see a family who lived only like about 50 miles away from the hospital, which is not that far, but it took six hours to get there. And so the challenge is in making sure that patients are able to access care wherever they live once they have a diagnosis and once there is treatment in the country. And again, that is about collaboration and coordination. So this time, not necessarily with a haemophilia expert, but it might be with a doctor, a nurse, a dentist, a physio that is geographically closer to the patient and who will be able to um, see them or treat them for a short period of time or, you know, for a long time giving treatment when they bleed, um, but closer to home for the family. So that is a challenge in terms of coordination, but actually for the patient and family is a real advantage to having a diagnosis and access to treatment. Would you say that that is one of the opportunities to improve on some of these challenges it definitely is it's not easy um, and it requires a lot of buy-in from people who are not involved usually in haemophilia care Um, so that is again about education and support of the people that are delivering the care on our behalf So it seems like you not only share learnings about haemophilia, but also about the role of nurses in the haemophilia multidisciplinary team. Can you tell me a bit more about this? We've talked already about how important the nurse is in holding everything together. Um, And interestingly, the WFH uh, treatment guidelines that were rewritten and republished in a couple of years ago, 2020, I think, um, mention the role of the nurse as a coordinator 13 times in the haemophilia treatment guidelines. So that shows that the WFH also think nurses are really important. 
it's not just about being a haemophilia nurse, though, and delivering care to an individual patient. It's about educating the nurses that maybe work in your hospital. So perhaps your patient might come in and they might be on a surgical ward. And so then the role of the haemophilia nurse is to educate the surgical nurses to make sure that the clotting factors get given, that there's not extra bleeding, all those kinds of things. So there's a real educational role. And that sort of drifts into another area that I'm really passionate about, which is research. And I think the whole word of research scares people, but you don't have to do some great, huge, multi-centre clinical trial to find the evidence for the care that you're giving. So, you know, a nurse in Uganda talking to a nurse in Kenya, talking to a nurse in Bangladesh about a knee replacement means that they can share expertise and they can share their learning. And that then improves care for people all around the world, not just in individual centres or individual countries. And looking back um, at some of the countries where you have been involved in, in training, have you noticed a change in some of them with regards to the role of nurses? Definitely. There's a, a slight issue in that it's tricky depending on which country you're in as to what it is that you're allowed to do with the rules of your government. So some countries nurses can't administer factor, some countries nurses can administer factor, but only if their doctors have allowed them to. Um, And some countries like the UK, you can administer, prescribe and do everything like a doctor can. So the rules are different. But what I have seen is the confidence of the nurses to say, this is a patient, he's got a knee bleed, he needs treating, somebody somewhere prescribe the factor so I can give it or I can liaise with somebody locally to where he is to make sure that he does get treated. And I think that is a... It's a lifelong learning. You know, if you're going to stay in haemophilia, your confidence will grow as you learn and experience more. Kate, one of the key messages you shared with us is that it's crucial to ensure that everyone in the multidisciplinary care team has a clear role to play. What is the key success factor in building a united team? That's a question that's like, how long is a piece of string? (laughs) So um, I think what's really important is that everybody sees that everybody else is important. So you can't run a haemophilia service if you don't have a nurse or a doctor or a physio. You've got to have those people there in some way, shape or form to be able to provide the care. But most importantly, if you don't have patients, then there's no point in having a haemophilia care team. So the patient and family are the most important part of that team. And we have to keep remembering that everything that we do is for the patient and his family. It's That's a key thinking and a key um, message to take after this podcast is that actually the patient is a really important part of the team. It's not just about the medical professionals. You're listening to Impacting Care from the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation. If you're enjoying this episode, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast player. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So going back to your volunteering experience, how did you feel on your first trip as a volunteer? So in some ways, because I'd already been to Bangladesh and I'd been in Kenya, I knew slightly what I was letting myself in for. Um, But... Thinking about the work that I did in Ganza with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation, one of the very first things that we did was to go and do a diagnosis camp. And 
that was kind of really exciting in that we knew that by the end of the trip, we would have diagnosed some people with haemophilia. We didn't know how many. We didn't know where they would come from. We didn't know how old they were going to be. We were inundated with people coming with things that were not haemophilia, clearly not haemophilia, some that had obvious bleeding, but we weren't able to diagnose. So that was at that point a little bit disappointing. We could only diagnose on that trip haemophilia A or B. Um, And I think what was at the end of it, there was a real sense of satisfaction that I think we diagnosed 25 people from a very small baby up to a gentleman in his 40s. But what was also really striking from there is that we didn't diagnose a baby who was, I think, about two months old in a family of boys who clinically had all been diagnosed with haemophilia before. So the relief for that family was huge. Um, And then because I've been lucky enough to go back to see those children growing up and now to see more and more children being diagnosed is really astonishing and astounding. And I absolutely love it. And I love the contact with those families, even though I might only see them once every five years. Thank you, COVID. But there's a real um, a feeling of friendship between the children, their families, their parents, and those of us that diagnose them at the beginning. And what does, I'm interested to know, like what, what the diagnosis camp looks like. Do you s- set up in a space and the message is sent out to people uh, that you're there? Yes, absolutely. So we had the very first one that I did in Uganda, we had a, um, a diagnostic machine, which was in the laboratory. Uh, we were taking bloods from loads. So we were doing some kind of screening. Did we really think these people might have haemophilia? If we did, we were then taking their bloods. The bloods were being taken down to the lab. The lab was doing the testing. And the next day, so they all stayed overnight. So there was some kind of education. And um, the next day, everybody got their results back. And they were told, um, you know, whether they had haemophilia A, haemophilia B, uh, and then what the plan would be for them to receive treatment in the future. The last one that I did was um, not in, that that was all in Kampala. The last uh, clinic that I did was far in the north where we had a portable coagulation machine. And I have to say, hands down to the lab staff from Kampala who came out um, and are still doing that even without me. They're doing it all the time. They're going out into the regions, identifying people, taking their bloods and getting them a diagnosis. And it's, you know, you're in down a dirt road in a little not little village, but you know, you're in a little town where there's limited electricity, there's no Wi-Fi, there's radio, and everybody gets to hear about it on the radio, and they come in from the surrounding areas to be tested. You also uh, visited Malawi, and you supported projects in India, in Sri Lanka, with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation. You visited many countries, and you've probably witnessed different levels of care. Uh, some more advanced than others in terms of diagnosis and care infrastructure, training of healthcare professional services to uh, haemophilia patients. What struck you the most when experiencing these different levels in access to care? I could talk all day about that. Um, I think two things really. One is that just because you live in a country where you have very limited resources, doesn't mean that you can't diagnose and care for people with haemophilia. So I have seen 
physiotherapists who have managed to get fixed, flexed, deformed knees where children couldn't walk. Once there was a diagnosis with a minuscule amount of factor being given, they have done the most amazing rehabilitation to the point where children can now get their foot on the floor and can walk. And I have seen you know, major surgery being done with what I would consider to be very limited doses of factor. Um, and the outcomes have been fantastic and people's lives have been revolutionised by that. And then I think there's also something around that whole sort of outreach that I was talking about earlier. So, you know, some countries have been better at being able to get factor out to the regions where patients are living rather than the patient having to come in all the time for treatment. And that obviously has made a huge impact. And again, going back to Uganda, there's a a family that I went to visit in their house many hours down the road, but not very far away, where probably about a mile away, the electricity stopped and they lived in a little tiny uh, house with no electricity. But the grandma had um, stuck up a deal with the lady in the village where the electricity was that she would keep some factor in the fridge for her child um, for them for some eggs. So there's a bit of bartering going on. I'm going to give you some eggs if you give me some electricity. Um, And that meant that those children could have their factor kept close to where they lived um, so that the the grandma and the the mum could take the child to the local health facility, which was, you know, just a, a little clinic in the middle of nowhere when they bled to get treated. So, you know, amazing things happening out there. But nobody tells anybody that they're doing it. And that's the real shame because all of those really good practices are not being shared very well. And you just mentioned about uh, the role of nurses. Um, What differences did you notice from one country to another or from one region of the world to another with regards to the role of nurses? So earlier on, I said that, you know, depending on where you were in the world, there were things that you could or couldn't do um, legally in terms of you know, prescribing or seeing patients or requesting tests. What nurses can do and do do, and they do it brilliantly, um, is to do all of that support. And that's either in a very informal way. Um, for some nurses that I've worked with, they have a very low profile within the haemophilia team, but actually are the ones that are the patients and the families have most contact with and are the ones who are most engaged in the care and support. And then there are, you know, bigger centres where there might be a lead nurse who's facilitating the whole programme. But again, it is the nurses who are then doing all of that, joining together uh, and delivering for the benefit of the most people. What would be your advice to nurses who wish to contribute to building a stronger multidisciplinary team to better serve the patients? As nurses, we often think that we work in isolation And you might be the only haemophilia nurse in your hospital, but there's bound to be other haemophilia nurses in your city or your country. So I would really advocate that they get together and form an association of haemophilia nurses. And it may be that in your country, there's only two of you, but then the country next door might have two. So you could join up with them. So, you know, I've alluded earlier to in Europe, we have two groups of haemophilia nurses, um, that all meet once or twice a year at meetings. And that's a really good way of seeing what other people are doing, learning from their experience and taking that practice back to your own haemophilia team to improve the care that you give to patients. 
And and what would be your message to healthcare professionals listening to us today? Stay in haemophilia. It's a great place to be. So I thought I would probably be a haemophilia nurse for 18 months. Uh, it was part of my career progression to do something else. I can't remember what now. Uh, you know, and here I am 30 years later. So much has changed. We've gone in the UK from you know, plasma derived products treating only after bleeds have occurred through prophylaxis. We've now got gene therapy on the horizon. And you might think that's haemophilia with a big tick. There's nothing else to do. But there are, of course, always new babies being born. And there's all those other bleeding disorders. We've mostly talked about haemophilia today. But there are, you know, von Willebrand's disease, factor 13 deficiency glansmans. There's masses still to do. And it's a really great place to work because you have those fantastic relationships with families. Kate, what for you is the beauty of volunteering? That's a really interesting question. And I'm not sure that I would ever have used the word beauty myself, but you're absolutely right. There's something very beautiful about being able to go somewhere and do something with somebody that makes a difference to somebody else. And that doesn't have to be a nurse. We've talked a lot about nurses today, but that can be a physio or a doctor or a dentist. It can be anybody. And we get 10 times more out of going than we give. And that's a really beautiful experience to have. And Kate, what would you say for to anybody who's perhaps thinking about volunteering in this space? If you're thinking about volunteering, please do get in touch either with me if you want more information of what it's really like, or get in touch with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation. They're always looking for volunteers. There's loads more countries out there that are trying to establish uh, programmes for patients, for diagnosis and for ongoing education and care. So please do get in touch. There's room for you in this too. Kate, thank you so much for talking with me today. You're very welcome. So that's the end of today's episode. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. If you want to start or get involved with a project or find more information, please visit the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation website at www.nnhf.org. Thanks for listening. This podcast is intended for informational, educational and inspirational purposes only. Please speak with a healthcare professional before making any decisions related to your health. The interviews in this series are with project partners, people with bleeding disorders, and volunteers who are impacting care with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation. Our guests haven't received compensation, and the views expressed are those of the people interviewed.